Good morning, church family. It is wonderful to see all of your smiling faces here this morning as we as a church body gather together to glorify our God and to pursue Christ-likeness together. Our text this morning is 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, which builds on the verses from last week, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, where John turned his attention away from the false teachers in whom he was addressing in chapter 1 and focuses instead on his little children or on the Christian readers in chapter 2, where he told them initially that he was writing to them so that they, verse 1, may not sin. So even though all Christians sin, and even though when a Christian confesses their sin, God is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and to cleanse them of all unrighteousness, and even though Christians have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for their sin, John still says that doesn't mean, Christian, that you now have a license to sin as much as your little heart desires. Instead, he charges his Christian readers here to walk in the light as God is in the light and to sin Less, or to put to death the deeds of the flesh and not to let sin abound in their lives. But John wasn't done there, as he also gave his readers a litmus test, if you will, to help them know that they really are Christians and that their salvation is secure. And the first test he offered his readers was this, 1 John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Thus, those who truly know and love and abide in God, they will keep the commandments of God and they will walk in the same way in which Christ walked. And today, John gives his readers another test, another test to help them to determine if they really are Christians and if they truly possess the gift of eternal salvation. But unlike last week, this is not a moral test in which John offers. Instead, it is what scholars describe as a social test, or a test concerning how we as Christians relate to one another. And oh, how applicable that is for the Christian today, because we are living at a time where we as Christians are literally fighting and hating each other over mask-wearing, stances on social justice, political viewpoints, how to do church during a pandemic, what evangelical voices to follow, and a litany of other issues. So much so in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, you would think Jesus prayed that his Christians or the Christians, that there be much disagreement, dissension, and division amongst them, and not unity. For that is how much fighting and hate and disunity we are currently seeing within evangelical America. And yet, the test John offers his readers today to help them know that they really are the children of God and possess the gift of eternal salvation is this. Do you love your brother? That's it. Do you, Christian, love your brother and love your sister in Christ? Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or a summary of the main points of the sermon this morning, which is this. This commandment is as true today as it was from the beginning, that we as Christians are to love one another. 
This commandment is as true today as it was from the beginning, that we as Christians are to love one another. And our text this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. The Apostle John, he writes, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you as a church body this morning, eager and excited to glorify you. Father, we are able to love you and to love each other this morning because you loved us first. Father, I pray you open the eyes and the ears of these dear congregants this morning. Soften their heart to receive your word. That if we walk in the light, we will love each other. And testify, Jesus Christ, that you are Lord and you are chasing all this darkness away until the kingdom of God is consummated. Father, I pray for my lisping, stammering tongue this morning. Father, give me clarity. Give me a boldness, a conviction, a humility, and a willingness to share the beauty of your word, the beauty of this truth this morning with this dear flock. And above all else, we pray that our worship of you this morning, Lord, that it brings glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one, Christian loving your brother in Christ, it is a timeless commandment. Christian loving your brother in Christ, it is a timeless commandment. Verses seven and eight. It says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John begins verse 7 with, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And what's interesting here is that there seems to be an assumption on the part of John that his original audience or the original readers knew what he meant when he wrote an old commandment. And this is even before John writes what the commandment is in verse 10 where he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. So the question is, how exactly does John's original audience know what he is talking about even before they get to verse 10 when he writes an old commandment? Now, as I mentioned a few weeks back during the introduction of this book, the Apostle John, he wrote his gospel, the gospel of John, before he wrote 1 John. 
Thus, his original audience would have already been familiar with the message, the content, and the themes of the Gospel of John before reading this letter. In particular, they would have read and heard and understood Jesus say in his farewell discourse in John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And it doesn't get any clearer than that, church. Thus, John's original audience would have had a clear understanding of what Jesus commanded, commanded and what the old commandment was, that you love one another. But church, please realize this commandment wasn't given to the people of God for the first time merely when Jesus spoke these words. For this commandment is communicated throughout the scriptures. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Thus it is obvious that this is a commandment that John's readers have had, verse 7, from the beginning. As this commandment was communicated to the people of God in the Old Testament, and the commandment was taught and affirmed and perfectly exemplified by Jesus Christ throughout his earthly ministry. Therefore, this commandment to love one another, it was not new information to John's readers, but instead it was a commandment that John's readers would have known from the very very beginning of their Christian walk. Thus, as Douglas O'Donnell puts it, unlike the false teachers in whom John was dealing with, who were just whimsically springing up new thoughts and new doctrines and new commandments for their followers to blindly adhere to, John, on the other hand, he's telling his readers, I'm not making anything new up here. Instead, verse 7, this old commandment is the word that you have heard, meaning the old commandment is the same truth that you heard ever since you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that if you truly love God, then you will love one another. And John goes on in verse 8, where he writes, at the same time, It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now you might be sitting there wondering, huh, did the Apostle John develop some type of multiple personality disorder in his old age? Because he just said in verse 7 that this commandment to love one another, that it was an old commandment. But here in verse 8, he calls it a new commandment. So what gives? Is John contradicting himself here? Did he forget what he just wrote in verse 7? Is he proving himself to be not trustworthy as an author? And the answer, of course, to all those questions is no. As Robert Yarbrough pointed out, John is not describing here the commandment as an either-or. Instead, he's describing the commandment here as a both end. So whereas the content of the commandment is old and known and stays the same, that you love one another, the commandment is new in that it now calls us to love each other in the same way that Jesus Christ loved us. As John MacArthur put it, the commandment's newness is found not in words, but in the illustration of love described in the expression Even though the Old Testament taught the duty of love, never before had the perfect love been so plainly manifested as it was in the incarnate Christ. 
You see, church, the world had literally never seen this type of perfect love as exemplified by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For Christ was delivered over to death for our trespasses and raised to life for our justification, Romans 4.25. For Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5.2. And this type of faithful, self-sacrificial, all for the good of others without expecting anything in return kind of love The world had never seen anything like it until it was perfectly displayed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And John articulates in verse 8 that this type of love, this new commandment, it is true in him and it is true in you. It is true in Jesus Christ and it is true in you, Christian. Or as the NIV puts it, its truth is seen in him and it is seen in you. Now let that soak in for a second. That the love Christ exemplified and displayed and exhibited for the entire world. That type of love, Christian, via the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which convicted you of your sin, brought about your regeneration, and made you a new creation in Christ. That type of love, Christian, the love of Jesus Christ, it is now alive in you. And it gives the body of Christ, the church, the ability to radically love each other in a way that is foreign and uncommon and unknown to this dark and depraved world. Don't believe me? I'm sure many of you heard of Booker T. Washington. He was a man who was born into slavery, but became one of America's leading intellectuals during the later part of the 19th century, and who eventually served as an advisor to multiple U.S. presidents. However, Washington admitted to wrestling at one time in his life with the difficulty of forgiveness before he found the path to victory. Washington wrote, When I saw the injuries and insults hurled against my people, I grew to hate white men. I hated them until my soul dried up. But then I took my hatred to Jesus Christ, and he took that hatred right out of my heart. He showed me how to forgive and how to love white men. That's the path to forgiveness. Whether someone has snubbed you, hurt your business, or killed a loved one, stand at the foot of the cross and look to him who hangs there and ask him to give you his love. And church Jesus Christ, he will give you his love. For Jesus Christ is the light of the world, John 8, 12. And through faith in his perfect life, death, and resurrection, we are now light in the Lord. Thus, with the light of Jesus Christ now shining in us, we too can love others in the same way as Jesus Christ. And oh, be encouraged by this this morning, Christian, as John closes verse 8. For the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Church, the one true light, Jesus Christ, who loved us, died for us, and saved us, That true light, he has already come, and he has already defeated sin and defeated death through eternity. And now he is chasing away all the darkness that we see in the here and now, away for good, until the consummation of God's eternal kingdom is complete. So although John writes in verse 17 that the world is passing away along with its desires, you, Christian, you are not passing away with the world because you have been brought out of darkness, redeemed, and cleansed 
by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, you can now brilliantly let the commandment of Christ be seen in you as you testify to the dark world that our God, who is light, that he will reign forever. And how can you do this? Simple, by loving one another just as Jesus Christ has loved you. Which takes us to point number two. Those who are in the light, they will not hate their brothers or sisters in Christ. Those who are in the light, they will not hate their brothers or their sisters in Christ. Verses 9 through 11. John writes, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now John wants to paint a picture here or initially display the difference between Christians or those who walk in the light and how they relate to each other and non-Christians or those who walk in darkness and how they relate to each other. So John writes in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Thus, even if one says that they are a Christian, if they hate members of the body of Christ, that proves that they are not in the light, but instead in the darkness. That they are not children of God, but instead the children of Satan. When I was in college, there was a term used to describe people who actually took joy in watching other people's misfortunes, their missteps, and their failures. And the term was that of a hater. And these haters, they just love to tear people down and expose flaws, and they never, ever, ever wanted to celebrate the success of a person. Instead, they would rather celebrate the demise of the people that they hated. And here is the problem with this kind of hatred toward people, church. Verse 11. It reads, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Did you catch that, church? Verse 11 says, whoever hates his brother, that person is in darkness, walks in darkness, doesn't know where he is going, and his eyes are blinded. You see, church, hate, it blinds you. It doesn't allow you to see what you are doing, where you are going, who you are hurting, or the pain you are inflicting. And that is why we see so many disheartening stories about people who claim to be Christians, who say they are Christians, and who attend a church, and yet who openly hate the pastor of the church because his sermons are too long or they hate elders or deacons of the church because of a decision they made, or they hate congregants within the church body because of a vote they casted, an article they posted, or because of something they said. And it is because these people are blinded by hate. And John says, look, real simple, even if you claim to be a Christian, even if you say you are a Christian, if you hate your brother or your sister in Christ, then you are still in the darkness and you are not a child of the Most High God. God because those who love God they will also love one another for these two commandments they cannot be separated Lee Rhodes shared this story about a seminary class where the professor liked to use object lessons so one day a student 
named Dylan walked into the class and found a large target placed on the wall and several darts on a nearby table. The professor told the students to draw a picture of someone that they hated. And then they would throw darts at the person's picture. So Dylan's friend drew a picture of the guy who recently stole his girlfriend. Another student drew the picture of her younger brother. And Dylan, well, Dylan drew a detailed picture of the professor since he gave him a C-plus on his midterm. The class then lined up to begin throwing darts at their pictures. Some of the students threw with such force that it ripped apart the target. However, before Dylan had a chance to go, the professor asked the students to return to their seats so that he could begin his lecture. As Dylan fumed with even more hatred now toward the professor, the professor began removing the target on the wall where underneath the target was a picture of Jesus. A hush fell over the room as students saw the mangled image of their Savior, with holes now in his eyes and jagged marks covering his face. The professor said only these words to his class. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Church, what a true redeemed Christian, one who knows Jesus Christ and who loves Jesus Christ and who actually grasps the depth of his atoning sacrifice on the cross, would they ever hate Jesus Christ? No, never. Thus, how can anyone who is in Christ and who loves Christ still hate his brother? And the answer is they can't. For it is impossible, church, because for one to hate their brother or their sister in Christ, it is ultimately to hate Jesus Christ. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Thus, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, he is, church, still in the darkness. But John writes in verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, before we get to the text here, I want you all to be quick to remember the context of what's taking place. Remember these churches in Ephesus and potentially throughout Asia Minor to whom John was writing to, they were going through the ringer. And why do I say that? Well, again, remember, some people within these churches, they denied and rejected what John wrote about Jesus Christ in his gospel. And because of that, some left the church. And not only that, but some of these people who left the church, they then began traveling around within this community of churches, trying to deceive them and confuse them and convert them over to their heretical beliefs, which makes for a really, really stressful situation to deal with. I mean, churches in America today have split and fractured over the color of curtains, the design of the carpet, and the type of music played during the service. Thus, you can imagine the internal struggle and turmoil and debates that were taking place within this congregation as they tried to navigate the chaos that was going on around them. Nevertheless, even in the midst of this trial, Even in the midst of this stressful and painstaking and gut-wrenching trial, John tells the church, as Gary Burge pointed out, that just as you don't have a license to sin now because you have a Savior, so too, Christian, you also don't have a license to hate each other because you are right. I'll say that again. 
Just as you don't have a license to sin because you have a savior, so too, Christian, you also don't have a license to hate one another simply because you are right. Thus, don't think for a second, church, that just because we as Christians today are feeling a little heat from the secular world or a little pushback from government officials or a little animosity from our friends or co-workers or associates on social media that these are unprecedented times for the church and that all of a sudden we as Christians now have a license or an excuse to hate each other simply because times are a little tough. Instead, John writes directly to his readers, even as they are in the midst of a hard and frustrating and gut-wrenching season of life, verse 10, whoever loves his brother, that is who abides in the light. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Therefore, I want to make this crystal clear this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, that even in the most stressful of situations, even when we are feeling the pinch of the world, the pressures of society, and the hostility of this political climate, there is never, ever, ever an acceptable excuse for the Christian to hate their brother or their sister in Christ. Because our love, it must be willing to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Why? Because our love, it is absolutely not of this world, but it has been given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thus, it should be with great joy that we be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. For it is by this love we know that we truly are the the children of God. As we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here first. First off, non-Christian, thank you so much for being here this morning and for worshiping with us at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. It is truly an honor to have you. However, I would be remiss if I let you leave here today without lovingly sharing with you that this world and the darkness that seems to be so prevalent within it, as John wrote in verse 8, it is passing away. Because the true light, Jesus Christ, he has already come, and oh, he is already shining. For he has defeated sin, destroyed death, and has purchased a people with his own blood on a cross at Calvary. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. For he is coming again to wipe out darkness completely, to remove every tear from our eye, and to make everything perfect and sinless and new. Thus, if Jesus Christ did return today, non-Christian, what would he say to you? Would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would he say to you, I never knew you? Depart from me. And if you are having trouble answering that question this morning, then let me ask you. Do you trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for your reconciliation back to God? Do you trust that Jesus Christ came into this world as truly God and as truly man to save you from your sin? And how did he do that? By living the life that you could never live. By keeping the law that you could never keep and by walking in the ways that you could never walk. 
Further still, non-Christian, not only did Jesus Christ live the perfect and righteous life that you could never live, he also paid the debt that we could not pay. For Jesus Christ paid the price for our redemption and the wrath that we deserve for our sin. Jesus Christ, he willingly bore it and he suffered in our place, was crucified on a cross in our place and died a sinner's death in our place. However, being that Jesus Christ is God, and is righteous and can and completely appease the wrath of God the Father toward the sins of his children. Three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, showcasing to the world that he defeated sin and defeated death forever. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you repent of your sins. Let today be the day that you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, the only one who can cleanse you of your sin, the only one who can clothe you in his perfect righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day that you can be at peace because although the world is quickly passing away through your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be saved and will eternally abide in his light. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you place your trust in Christ. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, if you haven't figured it out yet, I am really big on Christians loving one another, supernaturally, radically, sacrificially, and genuinely loving each other. And yet, why is this so hard? Why is it so hard for us to willingly and joyfully sacrifice our own desires and goals and even needs for the greater good of others? And one of the answers I hear from Christians is this. It's that because they don't receive that same love in return. That it is hard to love and to pour into a person and to make sacrifices for that person and to visit that person and bring meals to that person and go above and beyond over and over and over again for that person if we don't get love back in return. Jesus said this in his Sermon on the Mount. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Church, even the world loves those who love them right back. And what if that was God's attitude toward us? Listen to this parable in light of that from Luke chapter 15. Jesus said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And go out, go out after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Church, God's love toward us, it is not predicated on whether or not he will get back from us a love of greater or equal value. 
Because if that was the case, he certainly would not have gone out looking for us. Because the only thing we initially brought to our relationship with our God, it was our sin. The same sin in which Jesus Christ had to die for. But in love, our God, he still pursued us and found us and rejoiced over us. And he did this not because you were oh so special or cool or good or famous or smart or lovable. He pursued you and found you and saved you and rejoiced over you because he loved you. He loved you in a way that was genuine, sacrificial, focused on the greater good of you without a hint of expecting anything in return. Thus, if you are struggling to love your brother or sister in Christ this morning because they said something hurtful to you in the past or because they posted something you would disagree with on social media or because of their dogmatic positions on this, that, and the other, remember God reconciled us back to himself via the death of his son while we were his enemies, Romans 5.10. Not while we were praising his name, not when we were reading our Bibles, not while we were shining his light for the world to see, but while we were lusting after counterfeit gods and worshiping the very world in which he created. Thus, when it is hard for you to love your brother or your sister in Christ, and there will be those times, make no mistake, just fathom the fact that God loved you not just when you were mean, not just when you were nasty or ungrateful or unloving, but the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out for you when you were still his enemy. And if we can grasp that church, oh, we have no choice but to joyfully love each other in the same way that Christ sacrificially loved us. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body take serious our call to keep the commandment of Christ, that you love one another as I have loved you. Lord, we know that hate blinds us. We know that it keeps us in the darkness, and oh, does it create division within your church. Thus, if there be any hate within this church body this morning, help us, Lord, to repent of that sin immediately and replace that hatred, Lord, with your love. For the love of God, it is a genuine love. It is a supernatural love and a love that is only available in and through you, God. Thus, as your children who are light in in the Lord, let us then brilliantly exhibit this light and this love for all to see. For the world, it must know that we are absolutely, unmistakably, and emphatically the children of God. And how will they know that? By our love for God and by our love for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, love you, and love each other. It sounds so simple. And yet our egos, our fear, our jealousy gets in the way. Our pride, it gets in the way. And Father, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, if there are any feelings of hate within the church body this morning, Lord, we confess them before you this morning. Lord, we desire to walk in the light, to love each other just as Jesus Christ loved us, genuinely, self-sacrificially, for the good of the church, without expecting anything in return. Father, let that be the motivation which drives us. 
that causes us to love in a way that makes the world ask, why do these people love each other so much? What is so different about them that causes them to love each other so much? And that the only way to explain it is that we have been loved by God. When we were his enemies, he loved us. Let us cling to this truth this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name. It is the practice here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church 